This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay, we're going to we're going to restart. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, once more as we get into this particular session, we ask that you please be with us in a very special way because of what we're going to be talking about. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to be filtering everything, of course, through the eyes of the Bible, eyes of God, as he looks at what, we, what we're called to do. This particular session, we're dealing with prophets, not prophets. That's prophets, not prophets. Okay? And so we'll be dealing a little bit with business. All right. Uh, let's see. Here we go. The first issue, the first issue is that we have to let the Holy Spirit do his work. Amen? Let the Holy Spirit do his work. We must be willing and we must go ahead and do, allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us, with us, around us. And if the Holy Spirit is going to lead, then my assumption is going to be that you believe too. If the Holy Spirit is going to lead, I will follow. That is, you will follow. <laughs> right? If the Holy Spirit is going to lead, we will follow, I will follow, you will follow. Okay. Now, in our last session we were talking about what God sees. Well, when the Son of Man comes, will he find me, will he find you, faithful? Now that's a serious question. What does that mean, to be faithful? In this context, and in the context of, of this uh, workshop, we're saying it means, will he find me obedient to his will? Will he find me doing the things that he said I should do? Will he find me that way? Second, will he find me praying, you and me, praying for and working in humility for justice and loving mercy? Now, why would, why would we ask, will he see me doing that? What is this thing about justice and mercy? Micah 6.8. Anybody knows that by heart? Micah 6.8? He has shown thee, O man, O woman, O child, O... Yeah, right? What is good and what... You guys, look it up. Come on. It seems as though you don't remember it. So look it up. Micah 6. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We used to do this thing called sword in hand. Anybody remember that? Sword in hand? Right. <laughs> so you have your swords in your hand. All right. Micah 6 8. What does it say? Somebody read it out loud. With our God. All right. Good. That's Micah 6 verse 8. So when, when Jesus comes back, thank you very much. When Jesus comes back, will he find me 
faithful. There. Humbly seeking justice for those who cannot seek it for themselves. Doing the right thing. Being fair with those with whom I have to work and those who work for me. And being merciful, loving mercy. You know, uh, I was giving a talk somewhere sometime and somebody told me, Doctor, don't worry, I love justice and I love mercy. I thought that was, okay, okay. And he says, yeah, when somebody does me wrong, I want justice. And when I do them wrong, I want mercy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But you know, really it should be the other way around. (laughs) Right? We should treat people fairly. And we should be merciful to them. Right? Because God has done that with us. But grace is not treating us fairly. Okay? Grace means that He's actually what we don't deserve. The good that we don't deserve, He gives us. Right? So we should be gracious people as well. When God takes an inventory of your life or my life, and our relationships now, the question is, what does he see? Does he see us living the way he desires for us to live? And you know, we come to a conference like this and a seminar like this, and we might be inspired. We might say, yes, yes, I, I want. But you know, I... I have been to many, many different things that are very uplifting. You know, we've been coming to GYC, uh, my family and, and I, for many years. And I tell you, uh, some of the most inspiring words you will hear right here in, in some of these halls and some of these uh, uh, lecture rooms. And then time goes by, and what happens? You tell me. Other things get in the way, right? Distractions. And you forget. And then somebody might remind you of something, and you say, I used to know that. <laughs> I used to think that. How come I don't do that anymore? How come I, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not inclined in that direction anymore? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we would like for some things to become indelible, more permanent. And that means we have to let the Holy Spirit do His work to bring to our remembrance the things that are important, such as God's will for us. Okay? Now here's the thing. Seventh-day Adventists, consecrated young people, are collaborators with angels. Did you know that? Here's the quote. There is no line of work This is from Education, uh, I guess, 127. There is no line of work in which it is possible for the youth to receive greater benefit. All who engage in, what's that word? Ministry. Ministry. Are God's helping hand. They are co-workers with the angels. Rather, they are the human agencies through whom the angels accomplish their mission. Have you, have you thought about that for yourself? You know, I, the, the image of, uh, of angels for me is, 
is amazing. I, I, I like angels. I am sure I have seen an angel. But not, you know, the way it's, you know, depicted in, you know. <laughs> but I've seen these statues of angels. And some of the angels look kind of, uh, you know, emaciated. Uh, they, they look thin. But that's not the picture that the Bible has for the powerful angels. Angels who excel, exceed in strength. One angel, a thousand men. Ten thousand men. And imagine they're by our side and we are co-laborers with them, collaborators. Think about that. Now I'm going to use a medical metaphor. So you're in the office and you're seeing a patient and the angels are there with you. Isn't that something? You guys aren't impressed. (laughs) Amen. Imagine you're in the field. You're in the field. And something isn't going quite right. But the angel is there with you, guiding your hands to do what you didn't even know. Amen? You're making a business decision. And humanly, it looks as though you should do this. And the Holy Spirit is there with you and says, No, don't go that way. Do this instead. You make the foolish decision by the world's standards, but you make the right decision by God's standards. Amen? There's a way that seems right unto a man. But in the end, it's a way of death. All who engage in ministry. You know what ministry means? It's a nice word. It has, it has become transliterated and uh, the, the meaning has morphed into something that's very respectable and nice. Right? Ministry means service and servitude. That's what it means. All who is involved in serving. Yes, Serving. Yeah, like the waiters who serve on us. Uh, the, the servers who... Wait, well, yeah, right. <laughs> like the people who, who clean the rooms and clean the toilets. Yeah, those. That's what ministry means. It means serving. And then the white says, all who engage in serving are God's helping hand. Why? Because Jesus came to serve us. We're engaging in his work. So whether we have a professional practice or we are working for someone in their business, if we are faithful in our service, it makes a difference. I want you to think of the story 
of Joseph in Potiphar's house. He was a slave in that house. You know that, right? He was a slave in that house. And the Bible says that Potiphar, (laughs) I mean, this guy, he was extremely successful. Why? Because Joseph was there. I'm going to ask you, in your business enterprise, in your school enterprise, in your studies, in your training, wherever you are, is that place blessed because you're there? Yes. Amen. Amen. Blessed because you're there. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. To bless the place because you are there, but it's only if you are being faithful. <laughs> Joseph was faithful. Can you imagine blessing a jail? <laughs> he got thrown into jail and the jail was blessed. Okay. Then he was taken to the palace. And all of Egypt was blessed. Because Joseph was there. Amen. Amen. Are you catching that vision? Where do you work? Is that place blessed because you're there? Angels speak through their voices and work by their hands and the human workers cooperating with heavenly agencies have the benefit of their education and experience. You don't know how to do it, but they certainly do. They've been there before. Isn't that something? Listen, I can tell you stories in my own practice. Well, I'll, 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 well no, I won't do that one. Yeah. Okay, I'll get I'll it. It was one of, uh, one of these really bad nights because we had already had so many patients uh, that we were admitting to the hospital you know, the T1 call, and we're just, we're just inundated. When this lady, I, I was called by the, uh, by the OBGYN service to see this lady. Uh, she was quite obese. She had uh, some difficulty with her pregnancy, and she had to be delivered by C-section. But that day, she had had a lot of food to eat. And the result was she aspirated the material from her stomach into her lungs. Okay? Now this is bad, bad, bad news. Okay? And by the time uh, I got there, by the time we were finished with the C-section and whatnot, uh, this lady was already in respiratory distress. She was uh, in trouble. Her oxygen saturation was in the 60s. It should be above 92. She was in the 60s. Okay? And this is with oxygen uh, being applied. Okay? Obviously, she was going to need to be intubated. And did I mention that she was extremely obese? Well, obese people of her weight, difficult to, uh, to intubate. And so things were just going from bad to worse. Right? 
the anesthesiologist uh, got the tube in and then decided, you know what, we need to do a tracheostomy on her. Her husband is now in, in, in turmoil because he's seeing his, his wife uh, deteriorating in front of him. And uh, the baby, however, the baby was doing fine, but uh, the wife is deteriorating. And I was going to be taking this lady over and taking her to the intensive care unit. And um, she had uh, a, a situation that we call adult respiratory uh, distress syndrome. Okay? ARDS is the, uh, the term we used to use for it back in those days. She was on 100% oxygen, but her blood oxygenation was not doing well. Okay? For those of you who are physicians here or nurses in the ICU and whatnot, you know what this looks like. It, we say she's crashing, right? Okay. I see some nods, so I know you know what I'm talking about. She's crashing. And what we need to do in those days, what we had to do was to put in uh, a Swan-Gans catheter, which is uh, a tube we put through one of the uh, one of the blood vessels into the heart, okay, into the right side of the heart, and then we get it out into the pulmonary artery and to wedge it in uh, one of those little arteries in the lungs, so we can get the pressure. We can measure the pressure, right? This would guide the kind of therapy that we we're going to use. We have to do this, right? Now, did I tell you that she was extremely obese? Yeah. Okay. Well, in those days, we weren't doing uh, uh, pick lines and things like that. So that was not an option at that time. It was really either going uh, in a subclavian or juggler. Because in that hospital where I worked, uh, we didn't do any other central lines except here. Because the others, especially femoral lines, these became septic very easily. And what? Okay. Now, you, this is a blind stick, okay? Especially when somebody is so overweight. You can't feel the, the clavicle. You, 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 the landmarks are obscured, okay? And did I tell you this lady is crashing? Yeah. So how quickly do you have to put this thing in? Like now, right? Okay. I look at the lady and I know this, this is... This is this is not going to be an easy task. I can't do this. But I'm the one who's going to have to do it. So I try to take the easy way out. I look for the juggler, right? You know, turn her neck over, look. No, nothing, nothing. There's just fat, right? I couldn't even feel her carotid pulse. By this time, her blood pressure is falling, right? How soon do I need to get this line in now? Like right now, Okay. And we set up, we drape and everything, and I'm saying, there's just no way that I'm going to do this. There's no way. I, 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 there's no way. I, 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 I'm not going to do this, right? But I'm going to try. So we drape the right side of her, of her neck and uh, her chest. And as I'm going to stick, it's not an audible voice. I, I just get the impression, don't do that. Go femoral.
nobody around. <laughs> I mean, just the nurses and whatnot, and, you know, the uh, resident was there. And Okay. So I said, you know what? We're going to go femoral. And the nurse says, doctor, we don't do femorals uh, here. Yeah, we're going to do one now. <laughs> Under my responsibility, we're going to do one now. Let me tell you, it was the best decision. It was the best decision. There, there's no way that we're going to get uh, into, into that lung. I mean, into that uh, artery. Sorry, that vein. <laughs> we don't want the artery. Uh, but when I went femorally, we went to the hilt of the, of the catheter, and it wedged perfectly. One stick. One stick. It took less than five minutes to do that. If I had gone the other way, I would have been poking around there who knows for how long. So how did that happen? By the way, I didn't get into trouble about doing the femoral. It was understandable, right? Uh, by the way, the lady, uh, she did recover. Thank God, right? But I remember the picture. You guys have probably seen it. It's an old picture of Christ in the operating room. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. Harry Anderson painted that picture. And I, I, I could feel that God was there with me. You see, there are landmarks as well that you have to feel for. I couldn't feel them. N-A-V-E-L, for those of you who don't remember, right? Nerve, artery, vein, empty space, lymphatics. Mm -hmm. But you can't feel the artery. So how do you know where to go? You stick, and it goes into the vein, and it goes up the vena cava, and we're looking at the pressure, pulse, and there it is. <laughs> and it goes into the right heart and into the right place. Praise the Lord. Now, I can tell you many more stories. I don't want to do that. But God works with us. And if he will do that, for a simple procedure or a complex procedure, he will do that in everything that we ask him to do, to help us with. So when we're making business decisions, he's there and he's going to help us. He's going to give us what we need to make the best decision. Right? So the question is, are we going to be making decisions based on profits? Because that's what the world makes its decisions on. Or are we, going to, are we going to engage with what the prophets have told us? That God is going to be at our side. Huh? So we look for sustainable ministry. Serving sustainably. Any kind of business enterprise that we do needs to have the concept of sustainability. We need to have access to people. We need to have credibility. And we have influence. Because ultimately, the business that we're in, whatever business that we're in, is a ministry. No, I don't think you guys heard that. Every and any business that we're in, legitimate that is, right, 
It's a ministry. We're serving people. And we have to have the objective of what we talked about in the last session. The will of God for us starts off with being a disciple. We are what kind of people again? We are fishers, okay? We, we, our business is just a tool to fish. So we're fishers. So the business actually gives us access to people who are interested in that service. Am I making sense? Credibility. We have to do an excellent job. Mediocrity is not an option. Right? We have to be excellent in what we do. God will take care of all of the superlative things, but we have to be excellent in what we do. And this gives us influence with people. And Ellen White says this, when they see that we're knowledgeable about things in health, for instance, they will also believe that we know something about spiritual things, about the Bible. Are you hearing me? So this is an entering wedge. So, let's talk about some ministry enterprises. Printing Bibles for North Korea on your own press. Is that sustainable, yes or no? Well, if you have a printing press, or you have a computer and you have a printer, and you can get the ink and the paper and you know the language or somebody uh, translates the stuff for you and you print it there, what's the problem? You see, sometimes people, people look at a ministry and they assume that the ministry itself needs to be self-sustaining. We have to think outside of that box. When we had the Iron Curtain and people were getting Bibles to Russia, no one ever asked the question, how sustainable is that? Do you know why? Because it was not expected that people in Russia would buy the Bibles that we were smuggling into Russia. These Bibles were to be distributed, how? Free, free of charge. So it means that there was something else that had to supply the funds to be able to have the Bibles. Are you, are you following me? So you link your service ministry that is not expected to make money with one that is making money. Are you following me? One hand washes the other. Right? One activity gives you the resources to be able to do the other. Make sense? Okay. Scuba company that takes 400 people out per year. People are scuba diving. Do people go to, to scuba dive, um, you know, really very happy and everybody feels safe? And is, is that what, what happens? They go and they say, oh, yes, I always wanted a scuba, so let's go. Right? Right? Yeah. And what happens to those who are left behind? Like the husband says, I always wanted scuba. What does the wife say? <laughs> right? Listen, what I'm trying to say is we have to think outside the box. 
you may have 400 scuba divers, but you have their whole family who's interested in the safety of their loved one in that scuba company. So what are you going to do for them? How are you going to reassure their safety? What do you say? Training? Uh huh. Sign a waiver. <laughs> that usually does not produce <laughs> security. <laughs> you have to do it, but uh, but that usually doesn't. Pro- and and the lawyers are very. Any lawyers in the room, right? Uh, I mean, the way these the way these things are written, it's like you're gonna die. You know? <laughs> but and you're not gonna be able to sue anybody because it's not their fault. Whatever happens is not their fault, right? <laughs> no, so. Yeah, so usually the signing the waiver doesn't, uh, doesn't do it. But the way you treat people is going to make a huge difference. If you show yourself to be competent, but you're not braggadocious, right? If you're too cocky, then people don't like that, right? They wonder about you. But you show that you have confidence, you reassure them, you do the right thing, you keep... Uh, you, you play by the rules, the safety rules. You don't cut corners. You go the extra mile. By the way, you know where going the extra mile comes from? The Bible. Go the extra mile. Right? And you not only will be serving those 400 people, but you'll be serving their whole family. Right? We are fishers. How about a gas station owner? What do you think? What can a gas station owner do? Sell gas. Sell gas. <laughs> so that cheaper than everybody else? No, they'll think you have water in it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just teasing. Well, let me ask you. When you go to the gas station and you're pumping gas, what do you do? You're waiting, right? Mm-hmm. Do you read anything? Yeah, you're, yeah anything that's, writ, that's there that catches your eye, you'll read. As a matter of fact, in some gas stations, they actually have little uh, monitors, little screens, right? And when you start pumping the gas, it comes on. News or whatever it is comes on. So how about in your gas station? What are you going to have there? 3 ABN, that's what I heard. <laughs> You get the idea? You, your, your, your business is a ministry. It can be an overt ministry, that is, you know, you have a lot of religious things there, or it can be more subtle, where you're giving uh, ideas, suggestions, how you treat people, what you, what you say to them, how you how you approach them, all of these things making a positive impact for God. We're fishers. Don't forget it. We're fishers. Those of you who weren't here before, see me afterwards. I'll tell you about fishing. <laughs> all right? Then the Lord said to, to Moses, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, Throw it to the ground. In other words, what's in your hand? If you want to follow the prophets and not the prophets, you want to follow the prophets but not the prophets, 
What is in your hand you use for God? Amen. Whatever is in your hand you use for God. God is preparing each of us with tools for our fishing. <laughs> okay? Christ Object Lessons, page 349. Relig- this, is, this is a bold statement from Ellen White. Religion and business are not two separate things. They are one. They are one. So if you have a business that is doing illegal stuff, you are in the wrong place in multiple levels. No illegal stuff. If you're cutting corners and your scales, right, your, your weights are off because you set them that way, God says that's an abomination. Don't do it. Don't do things for filthy lucre. Do the right thing and God will be with you and he will bless you. Serve with honor. He has shown you, he has shown me what to do. To to do justly, to, to be fair and honest. To love mercy and to walk humbly before him. Complete restoration of mankind in the image of God in all aspects, physically, mentally, socially, emotionally, and spiritually. This is what we are about in our fishing. We need a broad understanding. We have come to the time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. That's what Ellen White says. So how do you do that with somebody who is not medically trained? Let me go to this one. We're talking about ministry. We're talking about co-workers with angels. We're talking about angels who speak through the voices of human beings and who work by human hands. And here's what Ellen White says to follow up. With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, might furnish, how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. We all know this quote, or we all have heard the quote. Let's, let's kind of play with it a little bit. Play is not the right word, but let's, let's, let's use it uh, to, to use a military metaphor. It's an army of workers, right? So now, let's, let's take a look at the U.S. infantry. This is what a U.S. infantryman uh, looks like. That's the gear that he has, etc. But then, in the, in the U.S. Army... We have the Green Beret and we have special forces and that's what they look like, right? If you go on the internet, you'll find googobs of pictures uh, looking like that, right? Now, is there any difference between a regular infantryman and someone who is with the Green Beret or special forces? Or the Rangers? Anybody knows of any difference between the two? Extensive training. Yes, extensive training. These are not just regular soldiers, Okay. They are trained for special activities. Okay? Let's take a look at another one. This is, this is what the U.S. Navy men look like. And this is what the Navy SEALs look like. When you're on the wrong side of this, which ones do you want to see? Well, you don't want to see any of them, right? <laughs> but I tell you what, I don't want to see these guys. They, they, don't, they don't look too savory. 
Well, you know, I looked up what it is that, that, uh, that they do for their trade, for the Navy SEALs, right? And this is just a small excerpt of what it is that they have to do. Before getting accepted into basic underwater demolition training, a prospective candidate must pass a certain number of both mental and physical requirements. This is no ordinary sailor. Right? Now, he must be, or she must be, because now they accept uh, females in the SEALs, uh, he or she must be able to be a sailor. Which means they already have to pass certain things to be a sailor, right? But then the requirements are a little bit more as to what they have to do. The tests include pre-enlistment medical screening and ASVAB and AFQT. You guys understand this, right? A CSORT and a PST. Then the candidates must get a SEAL contract by passing the SEAL physical screening test. 500 yards swim in 12.30 seconds. 50 push-ups in 2 minutes, 50 sit-ups in 2 minutes, 10 consecutive pull-ups in 2 minutes, and a 1.5 mile run in 10.30 minutes. Okay? They have to do this. And after they do this, the candidates who receive a passing score may then be admitted into training to become a SEAL. They're not a SEAL yet. Right? And the the attrition rate for people who are applying to become a SEAL after they have passed all of this and now they're in training, 80% of them punch out. Only 20% make the grade. Okay? So what do you think? Special guys, right? Wow. Yeah. Are they any more loyal to the government that they serve because they're a SEAL versus a, a Navy man? What do you think? No. Do you think that uh, when there needs to be deployed a Navy ship, that we shouldn't really send the regular soldiers, all we should do is send Navy SEALs? What do you think? Huh? They won't know what to do on a regular ship. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? They have different functions. All of them are necessary using this military idea. All of them are necessary. They just have a special function as a Navy SEAL, and others have special functions. Uh, there's some guys who, who man, they can, they can sit in front of these sonar and tell you all kinds of things about who's coming and where they are and all that stuff. These are experts at looking at that. They're not SEALs. But they know how to read. Why am I showing you this? What if this is what represents a Christian disciple? And this is what represents a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. You know, what we are called to as a Seventh-day Adventist is this warning, urgent message, right? If we're in business, if we're doing something in business, we're called to the highest standards. Not just 
Oh, the regular uh, stuff. You know, people cut corners here and do that. Well, you know, everybody does that in the business. And no, 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 no. We don't do that. That's not us. Is your life's record one in which Christ can vouch for you? Remember, the process to get to the end is as important as getting to the end. Matthew 24, 12 12 and 13. Now, let me give you an exercise. I want you to look up James 1, 2-4 and 2 Peter 1, 5-8 and contrast that with Galatians 5, 22-23. So, with your partner sitting next to you, right? one should look up James 1, 2-4, the other one, 2 Peter 1, 5-8 and then you go from there. All right? Partners, Two to four, right. No partner. <laughs> All right. How's it going? You read each verse and then you come you contrast that with Galatians five twenty two and twenty three. It's a process, right? Cumulative process. Things build on each other, right? You got it? Yes. Okay. What what do we find in James one? What do we find in James one? He says, "Counted joy." When you're tempted, okay? Now, 
when you have trials. Okay? Why? Because these things do something. What do they do? They develop your character. Alright? They develop your character. As you face the, the temptations and you face the trials and you overcome them, right? You are actually growing. So the process is important. Right? The process is important. Excuse me? They prepare us, right, for the next thing that's coming. All right? So we grow. How about, what did you find in Second uh, Peter 1, 5 to 8? Peter's ladder, right? And what do we ha- how can you characterize that ladder? One step at a time, right? One step at a time. It's a process. We have a growing process. Now, that's, that's different from the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> However, do we, do we manifest the fruit of the Spirit in one fell swoop? No. But it's one fruit. And that fruit is a love, joy, peace. <laughs> that, that, that's that fruit. Okay? Some of us have a lot of rotten fruit. But God wants to give us the whole fruit, the whole thing, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, grace. All right. One thing. But we're in a process of growth. So your business right now may be looking more at profits, ITS, than what the Bible would call profits, ETS. But hopefully after today, you will re-examine your business. You will get it right. You do it right. On the continuum of benevolent acts, there are explicitly spiritual religious ones, and there are implicitly spiritual religious ones, but they're all valued by God when done in love. Whether they're explicit or implicit. We're going to go through this. On the continuum of benevolent acts, there are explicitly health and medical ones, and there are implicitly health and medical ones, but they're all valued by God when done in love. Okay? So, if we look at our spiritual service, there are implicit things and there are explicit things, but there's something for everybody to do. Okay? There's something for everybody to do. Why? If we look at the implicit things for spiritual service, respect, kindness, courtesy, gentleness, consideration, helpfulness, collaboration, compassion, encouragement, that's just to name a few. You do these things and you are implicitly serving spiritually. In other words, you have no fanfare. You're not saying anything religious here. But you're being true as a Christian. It's part of the fabric of who you are as a Christian, as a fisher. And some explicit things, prayer, Bible readings, testimony, Bible study, (laughs) exorcism, right? (laughs) Giving religious books, inviting to church, small groups at home. All of these things may be considered very spiritual, religious kinds of things. But we have a whole continuum, and we can move between here and here, and the Holy Spirit. We let the Holy Spirit do His work, and He will help you. He will tell you when this is where you are, and where this is where you need to be. Let Him tell you that. 
He's a master at that. When we look at medical missionary work, we can see that on one side, there are things that require no training, no license. Everybody can do these things. Everybody. Such as, I was thirsty. What do you do? Give me something to drink. I was hungry. Give me something to eat. Right? Jesus says, Matthew 25, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brother, you have done it unto me. Come thou. Right? Enter into uh, the kingdom of my Father. It was prepared for you. Right? But then there are some things that require special training, license, and only licensed practitioners are permitted to do. Such as putting in those lines and stuff. Right? But you know what? We should be equipping each other. <laughs> because there are some things that I don't know how to do and somebody can show me and there are some things that they don't know how to do I can show them. This is also part of our, our responsibility. We're, we're in this for prophets. <laughs> because that's what the prophets tell us to do. Not for prophets. You know, in, in Israel of old, they didn't charge interest on loans. And every seven years, everything was squelched. Start back over again. Isn't that something? Sometimes I'm told, don't go to that garage. The guy's an Adventist, but... <laughs> Can you imagine somebody saying that? Implicit health stuff. Feed the hungry, water the thirsty, visit the sick, the imprisoned, befriend the friendless, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, give a ride to the carless, acknowledge the invisible. I remember uh, this, this, I, my car broke down. I was living in, in, uh, in Washington at the time. My car broke down. It was, a, it, was, it was the middle of winter and it was terribly cold. I mean, it was cold. The, the temperature was in sub-zero. Uh, degrees. In those days, we didn't have cell phones. I'm ancient. <laughs> I left the car parked up and I started to walk. And finally, I got to a place where there was a bus stop and I stopped there and I asked some people around, I've never taken this bus or anything like that. And, and so they thought, yes, you can do this here and you can go to that place and then you can catch another bus and you can, and to get home. Okay, all right, so that's what I'll do. Let me tell you, I stood in that place. This is a place where I have driven by, you know, hundreds of times. And I'm standing there and I'm looking into every car. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for a face of somebody that I recognize. So they would see me out there shivering in the cold just to look and say, oh, Daisy, hey, hey, what are you doing here? Come. I was, that was, I was anticipating that somebody would recognize me. Somebody. I stayed there for an hour waiting. And there were other people there who were waiting too. You know, I had never paid attention to people standing at the bus stop waiting for a bus before. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That day, I was on the other side 
And I felt, man, if only somebody would see me. Somebody. Well, you know, when I pass bus stops, I look now, right? <laughs> I look. Is there anybody there that I know? In today's day, you know, you stop and you want to give somebody a ride and they think that you might be some molester or something like that. So it's not as, as it used to be. But, but think about that. How many of you pay attention to those, to the invisible people? The invisible people. You're in a meeting and there's somebody who's, uh, who's serving. And, and nobody even acknowledges the person. The person comes and they serve you and, and some people don't even say thanks. It's as if, you know, it's automatic. Invisible people. People along the street. Invisible people. You, you walk and you turn your head. They, they don't count. That's Jesus there. We pass up and down. Invisible people. Acknowledge them. That's implicit health stuff. They get healthier when you acknowledge them. Did you know that? Do you know we have an epidemic right now of loneliness that's as big as diabetes? Yeah. Loneliness in the United States. Do you know that in Japan, people hire out families? They hire people to to pretend to be a family for a weekend. Did you know this? Yeah. And (laughs) this should never happen if there are Seventh-day Adventists around. Never. But who am I to say this? Job says, well, the Bible says of Job, he stayed there and he looked and he helped people who had needs. And the needs that he didn't know, he sought out. He, he went around looking to see, do you have any problems that I can help you with? Huh? Huh? Do you have any problems? you have any money issues? You need some money? I, okay, right? You know, can you imagine somebody going around doing this? She says, yes, ladies and gentlemen, go fund me, all right? <laughs> all right. Yeah. Offer to help. Be kind, courteous, considerate. The, the, God is calling us to this. And then the explicit health stuff. Okay, so we do a cooking school, a health shopping excursion. Uh, we had, she's gone. She she didn't stay. All right, yeah, healthy shopping excursions, uh, smoking cessation, drug. These are all of the classical kinds of things that we that we do. But pre-parenting classes. Do you know that the that the issue when parents neglect their kids, when parents abuse their kids, when parents uh, get incarcerated, when there are fights in the home that this increases the risk that the child not only will have mental health problems, but physical problems. They have an increased risk of diabetes and hypertension and coronary artery disease, an increased risk of being obese, increased risk of promiscuity. And we're talking about 50 partners or more by the time they're 18. Just by what the parents did or didn't do. Look it up sometime. Adverse childhood events. A-C-E, ACE. 
So we should be having pre-parenting classes and parenting classes, exercise aerobic club, ask the, uh, ask the doctor or dinner with the doctor, small group health walking clubs, first aid, first We should do first aid. You know why first aid? Because we say that in the end, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the world? Disasters, right? Right? So are we prepared for the disasters? And are we preparing other people for the disasters? We have to put our money where our mouth is. Right? So you want to go into a business? Start giving first aid classes. Follow the prophets. Not the prophets. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to let your Holy Spirit do His work to show us where we overlook so many opportunities that come by our way. You, you, you give us these opportunities and we just walk by. We repent. And we pray that we might see now with newer eyes, we'd catch the vision. We would have an aim as fishers we will spare nothing to be able to get to do what you ask us to do. That we will know your will and we will know you. And Lord, I pray that when you come, you will find us faithful to the end. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.